Yo, yo, everyone. What's up? Pete Forsey, the podcast, episode five. Thanks for joining me here. Got another good show to end the week after our Super Bowl talk on Monday. We're going to talk more football. Going to dive into Antonio Brown, who just can't say out of the news and can't really say anything to anyone important, it seems like. I'm actually going to dive into Kevin Durant and what happened to him yesterday evening. And we'll be talking about Gronkowski as his retirement appears to be intimate. And we'll also talk about Major League Baseball as a couple big news items just surfaced here at my recording. Let's dive in. Episode 5 of the podcast. Thanks for listening. The Antonio Brown saga continues. I could have talked about this in the first four episodes at some point. I laid off, but as new information arises, I can no longer. Antonio Brown, of course, accused this week of shoving his baby's mama to the ground outside his home and not clear whether it's true or not. I'm certainly not one to make him guilty without further evidence. And I won't be doing that with any of the other stuff that I mentioned, but it is more information and it's just another bad look for him. Doesn't help his case considering where he is with his team and his job. Antonio Brown, of course, He's got a lawsuit from a man in, I believe it's down in Florida, might have been California, but he says that he inflicted bodily harm by throwing furniture and other belongings off a balcony that nearly hit a child, and of course there are the team things going on with Antonio Brown, throwing a football in the direction of Ben Roethlisberger, storming off, not showing up to practice, and of course not returning the calls of his owner. This all... And again, I'm not here to say that he's guilty. There's only some things that we know that are facts. We know for fact that Antonio Brown threatened a reporter during training camp because he didn't like how he was portrayed from that particular journalist. We know for a fact that Antonio Brown, during the 2017 season, got in a spat with then-coordinator Todd Haley, excuse me, and started tossing water coolers all over the sideline. We know for a fact that Antonio Brown broke the sanctity of the locker room after a playoff game by recording on Facebook the locker room and his coach's post-game comments. There are some things that you just can't do In an NFL locker room, there are some things that you can't do just the way you conduct yourself in any workplace. And overall, Antonio Brown Brown acts like a child. It's as simple as that. I'm very happy now that it largely is agreed upon that this is the case. It seemed like forever there was just all his, you know, supporters, his defenders after everything. And now they're realizing, oh, geez, maybe, maybe all the people that were warning us are actually right. The biggest warning side was Facebook Live. I said it at the time, January 2017. Of course, I was not among those that said strong repercussions needed to happen. He didn't need to be cut. He didn't need to sit against the Patriots the following week. But I said, this is a warning sign. This guy is showing you who he is. Hard worker? Yes. Bad teammate? Yes. He is not a good teammate. Now, there are some who have been reported in ESPN, Jeremy Fowler's 
articles who's been all over this on top of it, great reporter. There's been some teammates that say they love Antonio Brown, they think he's a good teammate. But then there's about equal amount of people that say he's not. Which in my book, if half the team likes you and half doesn't, that means you're a bad teammate. Good teammates, in, in my book, in my opinion, mean that everybody likes you. Antonio Brown told us who he was two years ago. He said, and it's been reported that apparently he got some money from Facebook by recording that. He decided, I'm going to go about my business with my agenda first inside the building. I'm not quite sure where where he thought this would last. And again, I wasn't one to think that the Steelers needed to take the strongest of repercussions. But I tell you what, there's a guy in St. Louis, KFNS Radio 590 The Fan, for those that are in St. Louis and listen to local radio. There was one guy who said you need to take a very strong stance. And at the time, I didn't agree with it. I liked that I saw eye-to-eye with him and that it was no small thing. But at the time, TJ Moe, former Mizzou, wide receiver for all you Tiger fans out there, he said that Antonio Brown needed to be benched for the playoff game against the Patriots the following week. I said, whoa, I wouldn't do that. I like that you're with me, that it's a big deal. But man, Mo, you you were on this one, I think. I think if, if Antonio Brown had sat that playoff game, which they ultimately lost, and of course, that would have been a huge sacrifice at the time, But who knows, had Antonio Brown sat against the New England Patriots two years ago, where we would be today? How would he have responded differently to his coaches, to his ownership, teammates? And what would have resonated with him as far as what is acceptable and what is not? Again, these off-the-field issues, it's more of just if they are true, and even if the accusations aren't true, we can still surmise safely in some regards that he's not exactly conducting himself appropriately. Maybe the accusations aren't 100% accurate, but it's giving us a picture that maybe he's not surrounding himself with the best people and going about things in the best manner. And we can all go back to Facebook Live 2017. TJ Moe, I think you were right. At the time, I didn't agree with it. But I'll give you credit here. I think they should have sat him in that New England game. And we may be looking at a different story between Antonio Brown and the Pittsburgh Steelers. To the National Basketball Association. The first time here in the pod, I would go down the NBA route. I, I was caught. I keep a watchful eye on the NBA. I'm not really. I don't watch the games because, frankly, they're pointless in my opinion. And then I'm not really big on you know, the schematics and everything like I am in the other sports. But what I do keep on is a watchful eye of just, you know, who goes where, who's, who is winning games, who's losing, who's underperforming, that type of stuff. And right now the NBA is at the peak of its powers, man. Drama. This is a league driven by internet, uh, squabbles, back and forth between media, coaches, players, executives all around the league. And I got to, hey, I admire it. It's not my flavor. But I certainly admire it, and uh, it's at the peak of its powers here, and that's why I'm talking about here on the podcast for the very first time. And I'm going to talk about Kevin Durant, uh, 
because, of course, he just had his, um, well, he just lashed out at the media because I guess he's sick and tired of asks about free agency and where he's going. And Chris Stapp's Porzingis was just traded, and I haven't looked into this, full disclosure, so I'm not apprised of the facts, but he mentioned the Knicks, and I guess that's a potential landing spot for him uh, come this summer. And he really, he lashed out and he said some things that I didn't appreciate. And if anyone wants to give more context to the situation, I'm more than all ears on this. But what I don't like is him getting upset at reporters and questioning why he has to talk to them and saying, how's that going to do my job? How, how, how is that going to help me perform my job better? And I just have to say, well, first, Kevin, part of your job is to talk to the media. That's why it happens. And two, this is where non-answers are the way to go. And I fully appreciate in the NBA with your stars, such as Kevin Durant, your LeBron James, um, you know, that, that Greek, the Greek freak in Milwaukee, I can't say his name. I fully appreciate that you have to talk to the media every day and people are always curious what you have to say because you're the best players, your voice carries the most weight. You can't simply just not say anything all year round. But you can sometimes. And this is what I don't understand with Kevin Durant because I have seen him. He is open to talk about several different things and be very transparent. But now he's saying he's not speaking because he doesn't want to and that he doesn't have to. And maybe that's right. Maybe he can decline some interviews from reporters, whether it's local, national. But this is where the safer route and the more consistent route is to always be nebulous, always be hazy and cloudy with your words, never give something that is crystal clear. This is why the route of the Tom Brady's, the Derek Jeter's, and these are different sports. Again, I understand it can't be the same, but you need to find, you need to strike that balance between offering something to the media, the people that you see each and every day who cover the sport, and understanding some things will never be said and it will just be played out through actions. Moreover, what I didn't like is that he called out one guy. What well, It was either Ethan Evan. You know, I don't know what he wrote or who he writes for, but he called out a guy by name and he didn't like that he didn't talk to Kevin about what he wrote. And Kevin said he was passing it off as his own words. Well, Kevin, you weren't voluntarily speaking to him. You said as much. And number two, Kevin, aren't you the guy, if I recall, aren't you the guy a couple summers ago had a burner account on Twitter and said whatever the hell you wanted and didn't even put a name or face to it. Wasn't that you? I remember that coming out and I thought, wow, this is going to be a big deal. Like he, he could get a lot of heat for it. But in typical internet fashion, I, I think he almost got like more support from it. But I'm here to tell you now that I, I don't want to hear Kevin getting upset at a reporter for doing his job and writing a story about what his sources are saying close to him about Kevin's intentions or his thoughts on any matter when Kevin's the one who 
will go on the internet and say whatever the hell he want, but not even put his own name or face to it. I don't have a whole lot of respect for that. And Kevin Durant has always seemed like a very sensitive individual. I talked about it last week on the pod. Athletes are all-time sensitive. Kevin Durant appears to be epitomizing that, and yesterday evening was a bad day for him. Switching gears to Major League Baseball, we just got word. JT Realmuto, catcher for the Miami Marlins, he's headed to the Philadelphia Phillies. In return, the Marlins get Sixto Sanchez, 20-year-old right-handed pitcher, electric stuff, and catcher Jorge Alfaro, who, of course, has been in the league for a few years but still hasn't materialized like the Phillies had thought. He goes to Miami, and left-handed pitcher Will Stewart, who I'm not quite... um, up on as far as what he what he brings to the table, but it appears to be a solid haul for Miami. I think the Phillies fill an obvious need. They need more production both um, as far as hitters go and at particularly the position of catcher. So I think that's good. I'm actually looking at a Philadelphia, Philadelphia Phillies pennant right now. Kind of a strange one. It's in my apartment. I had it. I got it, I want to say, when I was eight years old. I always really liked the logo. Um, always thought it was a neat one, and I never quite knew what a Philly was. I remember ask, asking my dad what that was, and then he explained to me it was the same concept as the Mets. It really is just a, a native of the city, and I always liked the, the logo. So I'm looking at that now, and I'm dreaming of baseball season. Additionally, Frank Robinson has passed away at the age of 83. Frank Robinson, of course, the only to win most valuable player in both leagues, NL and DL. And, of course, he was also a major major proponent of keeping steroid users out of the Hall of Fame. So much so, he always thought there should have been a conscious effort to approach those abusers, those cheaters, and erase their numbers. Now, I stop there agreeing with Frank. I think history is history. You don't erase history no matter what transpires. So I never said you need to erase the numbers that's something the NCAA does whenever infractions um, occur, and I don't like that because whatever does happen uh, needs to be known. We're telling a story here, after all. Uh, we're telling the story of sports and life. So I, I'm not an agreeer of getting rid of the numbers, but that's what's going on around baseball. But more so, we're talking about a lot of wholesale changes in the game of baseball, namely the designated hitter entering the National League. I sure you I'm sure you can tell by the sound of my voice I am not of an agreement there. I like National League brand baseball. I like the strategy. If you bring a designated hitter into the NL and I know pitchers are worse than ever. They there's a designated hitter from high school which I always thought was preposterous. Remember, I was DH4 in high school when I was on the mound because I sucked at hitting. But I hated the concept not because I couldn't hit, or excuse me, because I wanted to hit, but because in high school to have a designated hitter, that, that's just ridiculous. And then it starts there, and then through high A ball in the minor leagues, guys don't hit, pitchers don't hit. And then they're expected to pick it up at double A and go hit major league pitching. I always thought that was flawed. So I can understand why people point to that as a reason not to have it. But ultimately, you're just you're you're killing off a brand of baseball. I can think back to 
2015, St. Louis Cardinals, Chicago Cubs, Wrigley Field. It was a beautiful National League game. Mike Matheny, in one of the few games in which he actually substituted effectively, he was on his game that night. I want to say it was the Sunday evening game. More than likely with the two teams we're talking about. Mike Matheny, early hook on, I believe it was Michael Waka, wasn't being very effective that night. And it was just a slew of pinch hitters, double switches, some situational bunning, moving runners into scoring position. It was just beautiful. And I'm not 100% sure, probably should have checked up on this, but I believe it was the night Johnny Baseball, Johnny Peralta, the shortstop who in 2015 played every stinking game for the Cars because there were so many injuries amongst position players. And it basically, I think it may have ruined his career. He was put he was put in pressed into service for Mike Matheny, and he knew he had to. Johnny knew he had to play every day because he was the only impact hitter left to make that lineup go. Johnny Peralta gets up, Pedro Strope on the mound, hat cocked to the side. Stroke fires a fastball, and boom! Johnny send, sends one over left center, home run, Cardinals take the lead, and they win the game. And it was just, it capped off a beautiful National League game, if memory serves me correctly. Again, not entirely sure, but in my mind, I'm going to let this live on because it was a beautiful game, and I would just hate to see that gone. But I understand that for some reason... People want to see an extra hitter, even though it's going to be Adam Lind. It's going to be Mark Reynolds. That's going to be who's in the batter's box. You're 30% strikeout rate, guys. So as much as you hate seeing pitchers, the only thing that you're going to see now is an occasional home run and maybe a walk here or there. And sacrifice is more uh, of the thinking man's part of the game. And it's not so far off the, the conversation that we had with the, the Super Bowl earlier this week. Some people just want to see splash. They just want to see excitement, and that's it. And there's no appreciation for just the nuances. That's what I would hate to see go here. I love the National League game. I hope it's preserved. But it looks like by 2020 we're going to have an NLDH, and that's a sad thing. Switching back into football here real quick. Rob Gronkowski was highlighted this week because, of course, the Patriots had their parade in Boston, and Gronk took his shirt off and appeared to be dancing and was drinking beers and was really excited. And the camera was all over him, and it again just, I guess, extends this idea that Rob Gronkowski is some huge partier a bit of an out-of-control athlete who is the exception under the Patriot way, as it has been known, and one that Belichick just manages. And I think it's that's where it kind of gets out of hand with me. I think Rob Gronkowski, of course, loves to go out and have fun and dance, but this idea that he is some frat guy who just pounds beers and hits clubs every chance that he gets is just not true. I think when he came into the league, he, of course, went to Arizona 
and I'm sure he had plenty of fun there as a football player. But once he got in the league, I think he shed some of those habits, carried on a few. This persona was born, and then he monetized it and really kind of, I'm not going to say gave it up, but really tampered it down. I don't think Rob Gronkowski is what everybody thinks he is. And that's based off what I see in videos, which additionally, I saw plenty of other Patriots dancing and being quote-unquote wild and consuming alcohol. It was it wasn't all that much different. It's just again when this persona is born, the camera finds you, reporters talk about it, and really speak it into existence here to the public. But I think where it stops is that this guy isn't like a studious professional at his craft. Bill Belichick once said that the position of tight end is the most complex in the Patriots' offense other than quarterback. Teammates have raved, similar in the fashion to Tom Brady, but not to the same degree, that Rob Gronkowski is a gym rat, pays very close attention to his diet, and of course, hammers out film, cuts up tape better than anyone. Uh, Andy Benoit, I may be saying his name wrong, a couple of different pronunciations for this one, Andy Benoit Benoit of Sports Illustrated said chopping up film with Rob Gronkowski two summers ago, he had never heard someone have a better grasp on a position than Rob did with tight end. I just say all this because I really hate that this guy has this, this label stuck to him because what he is is a, a tight end who's probably the best to ever do it. And now he's going to go probably, I, I'm of the believers that he'll likely retire. He's been very open about it as far as he's going to think and consider it. And he's been through more harm than probably any player I've ever seen. I've never seen a guy get beat up more than him. It's been a great career to watch Rob Gronkowski. He's now going to go probably into, what, WWE, maybe do some films. It's been a good career, but let's not forget that Rob was not notorious for going out on Friday nights and then showing up and playing on Sundays. What he was known for amongst his contemporaries was the most diligent and dedicated tight end, and the production bears it out. All right, y'all, that's going to do it. Another short one this week. But we got two episodes, and I hope you enjoyed them both. We'll be back to our regular schedule next weekend, or next week, I should say. And uh, we'll be talking some more NFL, as always. But, of course, we're going to transition into different areas of the pod. And I got a couple of things in mind that I think will be out there for you guys. I'll keep those. Uh, I'll let those surface as it comes. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it, as they say. Thank you so much. Again, keep hitting me up uh, on Twitter. Uh, Snapchat, Instagram, whatever. Handle is at Pete4C. And again, if you haven't subscribed yet in iTunes, please do. Subscribe, review, five-star it. Let me know what you think. I want to know what you're thinking. Comments, questions, slide up in those DMs. I appreciate you all listening, and I can't wait for next week. Have a great weekend.